Attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is Captain Michelle Huber. Hi, Michelle, welcome back. Thank you, it's good to be back. Absolutely. Now, we did a show together in season three. I believe it was Mad Dogs and Englishmen was the one that you talked on. And even back then, way back that's then. Close. Was it? Wasn't it's, it? It's Mad Dogs and Servicemen. Oh, oh, oh that's right. Yeah, Mad, Mad Dogs and Englishmen is the, is the riff on it. Yeah. Mad Dogs and Servicemen. Of course. Duh. Uh, but back then you mentioned to me that Winchester was your favorite character on the show and you really wanted to talk about, you know, a Winchester episode. And of course, you know, that was season three. I was like, well, that's a couple of years from now, but uh, we'll get to it eventually. Well, now we're here. So uh, thank you for hanging around and being willing to come back all these years later to finally talk about a Winchester episode. You're welcome. I'm very happy to be here. So this, of course, everyone, is episode 24 of season six, Major Topper. It originally aired on March 27th, 1978. It is the final episode of season six of MASH. We're finally here. So before we get to the plot, Michelle, I did want to ask you, you know, as I just mentioned, you said Winchester was like your favorite character or these years were your favorite years of the show. Like, why is that? What's so great about the Major Winchester? I think it's because unlike Frank, he doesn't like the army. He's got kind of similar beliefs on religion as Hawkeye and BJ. And he is an, he's a competent surgeon. So it's like, he's kind of like Frank, but like all of Frank's bad qualities taken <laughs> out of him. <laughs> Are these years, you're generally your favorite years of the show? Like these early ones with the Winchester, or is it more just the entire basically back half of MASH? I think it's back, back half of MASH. Actually, the first box set DVD I got was season eight. Definitely. This is the crew I'm f- most familiar with. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. No. So when you, I forget, I should have gone back and listened to our episode, but I, I just did not. Um, I, you know, we talked about your match origin on that show. You said you, that was the first season that you got. Was that your introduction to mesh or was that just the first set that you happened to get? Uh, that was the first set I managed to get my grandma to buy me at Walmart. Um, <laughs> thanks, grandma. Yeah, definitely. Shit. I owe her most of my mesh collection, actually. Um, uh, <laughs> I actually don't remember my MASH origin. I I don't remember what I said back then, because after I listened to us talk about that episode, I realized that actually I don't remember exactly what started it, because my step-grandpa had the first three seasons on these VHS tapes that he got Mm -hmm. from, from, I guess it was a catalog. The Columbia House. Yeah, it was a whole thing you could subscribe to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he had those, and I remember that he had all three seasons, but the episodes were scattershot. So sometimes you'd have season one episode, a season three episode, and then season two, like, there was, they were not separated by seasons, but it was the first three seasons altogether. And, uh, I remember that we would watch those in the basement at their house at Lake of the Ozarks. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously we didn't get a lot of TV back then and no cable and no internet, so. Right. <laughs> you got a lot of we might as well watch 24 episodes of match yeah those those columbia house sets they grouped them by theme so it yeah. was like you know it was it was like you know dr hijinks or some sort of weird 
you know, or a general comes to visit or some, some weird con- contrivance. And it was very frustrating. I mean, I guess if, if you enjoy the randomness of it, like you would watch it in syndication or something, that was fun. But I rem- I had a friend that subscribed to them and they were so frustrating. <laughs> it was like, just put them in order. Why are they, why are we jumping around? Yeah. I remember that. And that used to bother us too, because we would be like, because <laughs> we really liked, uh, it's killing me. I can't, Spear Tracker. We really liked mm-hmm. Spear Tracker. So occasionally we would get a disc, uh, not disc, ah, funny, a VHS tape with Spear Tracker and we were really happy. <laughs> I have never heard anybody say that, that he was that much of a character. He only shows up every so often. So, but yeah, that had to be fun. You're like, wait, is he here? Oh, he's gone. No, oh, he's back again. Well, okay. It's very strange. It was me, my brother, and my and my brother's two cousins. So it could be that we were so tired from swimming in the lake all day that we were just thinking funny. I don't remember. I just remember that. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. So, well, as I mentioned, like I said, this is the final episode of season six. Major Topper is written by Alan Freeman. And that's not a name that uh, we have said before on the show, and we will actually kind of not say again. And is directed by Charles Dubin. So during a long session in OR, a verbal joust breaks out between Hawkeye, BJ, and Winchester, seeing who can tell the tallest but supposedly true tale. Whatever Hawkeye and BJ come up with, Winchester can top it. In post-op, a problem arises. It seems that the tiny supply of morphine the 477th has has gone bad and can't be used without potentially doing further harm. With a hospital full of patients, no painkillers, and no chance of getting any more until the morning, they're in a tough spot. Back in Potter's office, they discuss their options. Winchester suggests using the morphine, thinking the one soldier's reaction was a fluke. Potter comes up with a different idea, one that he dispenses in secret, giving the patients sugar pills. In other words, a placebo. Basing the idea on something he saw a doctor give his aunt when he was a child, he believes that if the doctors can sell it, really sell it, the placebos just might work. Meanwhile, Klinger is going through his paces with Corporal Boots Miller, who seems completely insane, talking into a spoon and acting like it's a microphone, talking to his socks, and even firing real bullets into imaginary North Korean gliders that he insists are buzzing the camp. Hawkeye and BJ make up the sugar pills, and everyone gives them out, trying to sell them as convincingly as possible. Some time passes, and the doctors, none more than Winchester, are amazed to see that, for the most part, the placebos are working. Almost half of the patients are without pain and are sleeping soundly. Some of them need some more persuasion, but for the most part, the experiment is a success. Back in the mess tent, they all marvel at what they've just seen, except for Winchester, who has another tale to top it. Later that night, Corporal Miller's lunacy gets so out of control, it catches the attention of Colonel Potter. After Miller shoots down some more gliders, Potter commands Klinger to drag Miller back to his office while Potter writes up a transfer. Back in the swamp, the tall tales start yet again when Winchester suggests he dated Audrey Hepburn, the Audrey Hepburn. Hawkeye and BJ demand proof, which they fully expect Winchester cannot produce. But then Winchester whips out a picture of himself having dinner with Audrey Hepburn. Hawkeye and BJ, knowing when they're beaten, crawl into their beds while Winchester tells them about the time he climbed the Matterhorn. Weeks later, Colonel Potter gets a letter from Corporal Miller telling him that he's made a small fortune selling replicas of his Mr. Shoes and Mr. Socks characters and is working on a new toy, Enemy Glider. Klinger thinks they've been hoodwinked, until Miller asks Colonel Potter if he can send reference photos of the glider he shot down. All right, Michelle, that is Major Topper. It's a very funny episode, and we'll we'll go through it, of course. But uh, I remember you asked for this one specifically. What is it about this one that you like so much? 
I like that it's got three separate storylines to it. It's got the Major Topper, it's got the Morphine, and then it's also got Boots Miller. And um, I really like Klinger having to kind of rein in and control Miller, and he's not able to no mm-hmm. more than anyone. He, can, he can't control Miller any more than anyone else can control Klinger. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like Klinger has to take the opposite role of what he's usually given. And yeah, then, that, it's, and it's, a ni- it's a nice change for, for Jamie Farr and Klinger, to be sure. And it's just nice to see the doctors be doctors and have to figure out, okay, we don't have morphine, but we can't just not give these guys morphine. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do? So they have to kind of have to have faith in, I guess, their presumption about medicine, you know, because they presume that it'll work, but they don't know it. Yeah, well, one of the big, I mean, again, the, one of the themes of this one, and it, and it kind of, as you said, it has three storylines this episode, but two of them sort of dovetail uh, a little bit in that, of course, the whole reason the placebos, at least in Colonel Potter's eyes, are going to work is the selling of them. You know, he talks about we have to sell it, really sell it. And, of course, uh, despite his bragging, Winchester is the poorest of all of them at it, he kind of stunt stutters and stammers and can't give direct answers. At one point, a, one of the patients asks, how long does this take? And he's like, uh, 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 rate of absorption. And he's just, you know, fluttering around and, and it's Margaret to say 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And of course, that's exactly the opposite situation with the tall tales storyline is that he is selling these nonsense stories to to the doctors and to Colonel Potter and stuff. So I mean when he can when he when it's up to him to brag, he can sell it and be a gifted performer. But when he has to kind of lie about perhaps medicine or he's he's just in an area where it's not involving his ego, then he's not so good at. So I like like you were just talking about with Klinger where he's in a opposite situation what it normally is. Winchester here is in two different spots and in sort of two different manners. And as I mentioned last week with the Dr. Winchester Mr. Hyde episode which seems like a slightly fitting, more fitting season finale than this, because this episode is a little bit on the lighter side. I do like that Winchester gets so much to do in this show. I mean, this season obviously is his introduction to the show. And so, I, you know, the, the show, the season opened all about him and it ends kind of all about him, which is good because it said he's the, he's the big change of the show and I'm glad they give him more to do. So this is a really fine Winchester episode. I also like that. Because Winchester's prowess as a doctor comes from the fact that he knows that if he does A and B, he should get C. Like, whether he uses the right instrument or the right medicine or the right, or he just normally always knows what to do to get the reaction he needs. And this is one case when it's not what he wants to do, and he doesn't think he's going to get the reaction that he thinks he'll get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a very results driven doctor you know yeah. he's as they've said he's technically the best one they've got we've already talked about in previous episodes he's not the best doctor all around but as a surgeon is his technical skill he is he is unmatched and so yeah he is a very kind of as you put it kind of like a to b doctor he's a he's a snobbier house really <laughs> In some ways, <laughs> they should have. They could have Winchester on Fox at eight o'clock, and they would have done that show. So uh, the the show opens up in in the OR, and we get you know the initial bit is that Winchester again is telling these sort of 
tall tales about stuff, the surgeries that he's performed under adverse conditions and Hawkeye and BJ aren't buying it. And Colonel Potter is kind of sitting back being very Colonel Pottery and kind of enjoying, you know, like just watching his, his younger doctors kind of go after each other, especially since it's, it's so sort of harmless. And, you know, like Winchester's like talks about that he performed surgery and during a blackout and all these things. And it's kind of, well, I mentioned this about other episodes across the season where like Winchester is slowly acclimated to being there. He's no longer as standoffish, uh, in the, um, temporary duty episode. He pays, he posts the, um, Boston sign on the, on the, uh, the signpost. And so he's becoming slightly more acclimated to like, all right, I'm here. And so he's bothering to try and top Hawkeye and BJ just to do it. You know, he's not really, there's no real purpose to this other than just sort of clearly being one of the gang, uh, which is kind of mm-hmm. nice. So it's a good way to sort of open the show. Um, <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I really, uh, they mentioned the army Navy game of 1924. Mm-hmm. I want to say that the army beat the Navy 12 to zero in that, in that game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had to look it up because I was like, okay, I want to know who actually did win that game. And then I just really liked the line about the Boston, the war of the Boston commuters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I wonder if they, I mean, I, I'm guessing the MASH writers or Alan Freeman, whoever it is, wrote this, you know, had some book of sports trivia that they could consult all the time for these things. You know, MASH didn't worry too much about that stuff, but I think once in a while, like, bothering to mention it, they probably just look it up and be like, okay, we could mention that in 1924. Uh, well, the so- reference wasn't that, like, specific, so it could have been just they know that there's always a Army-Navy game every year, I think. True. So they could just... Send that and then any random year. <laughs> um, so uh, the next scene is in the mess tent and we're introduced to Corporal Boots Miller. He is played by the actor Hamilton Camp. And Hamilton Camp is a long, long, long career dating all the way back into the 1940s. Uh, he was he appeared in a um, first appearance in movies was in a, a Val Luton film, the great horror producer. Um, most people know him, maybe not most people, but, uh, a lot of people know him as the boss on the show Too Close for Comfort with Ted Knight. He was Ted Knight's boss in that show. Hamilton Camp would come back to MASH, uh, in two different ways in season 11. He comes back in the Moon is Not Blue episode where he is the, the film distributor. That is sort mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, not sending the best films to uh, the 477. And he is the radio announcer in Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen when Hawkeye is in the psychiatric hospital and he is listening to someone give a report about how it seems that the war is starting to wind down. That is Hamilton Kemp. So uh, they would use him again twice in, in season 11. He did a lot of voiceover work. Again, he had a, just a million credits and uh he's very funny he's a very funny comedy actor and he's he's funny here because as you say he's putting clinger in this opposite situation that he has to be kind of in charge of this guy we see that like clinger will always kind of draw a line about how he's Mm -hmm. going to treat the others in his you know attempts to act like he's crazy but as we'll see boots miller has none of those like he just he pushes it and he kind of freaks out Colonel Potter and Mulcahy and later on Margaret. So we're seeing like he's really, if he's, if this is a bit, he's really committed to it. Well, I think Klinger kind of has his own 
morals or ethics on how he does his act. And Miller's Miller is clearly like going against those morals or ethics. And so Klinger is like, not that S-H-I-T off. <laughs> yeah, he will. He will never I mean again. He'll pull stuff. But it, everyone always knows that it's 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 just a gag and they can just kind of go along with it. But Hamilton, Hamilton can't boots Miller uh, again is making people sort of feel uncomfortable, uh, at least. And again, initially what he's doing, which is that that's, that's how you're going to uh, that's how you're going to get a section. Eight. Klinger's never going to never going to get it, obviously, because he's he's not that committed to it. Um, so then also, uh, uh, I just wanted to say I love Klinger's outfit, the floral blouse and the apron he's wearing. <laughs> It's kind of like a picnicy thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's got kind of a picnicy outfit. It's not even that he's trying to play a character or have any kind of theme. It's just what he decided to throw on. Right, right, right. Yeah, maybe it was the maybe it was the only clean clothes he had. <laughs> you have to wonder. They've established that they have laundry. Uh, like they have people that do laundry at the four seven seven. Like they outsource it. I can't imagine that. I mean, obviously, the the camp must have people that do laundry to wash the uniforms. That's got to be a, a function of being at the well, camp. It's a, it's a hospital. They have to have a laundry facility of some kind. Right. Exactly. Um, but but then they've also established that there are like Korean locals that do laundry. And I'm like, where the Klinger's laundry bill must be through the roof because he's going to have like where how do these people know how to clean crenolins and all sorts of like all this fancy stuff that he's doing he must be spending his very low salary on just getting his clothes clean or it could be a case of him doing his own laundry because he doesn't trust anyone else not to ruin his stuff that's that's true yeah <laughs> he's committed to again he's like committed to the bit because so, i feel like we've i feel like we've seen him iron before yes we have because as we know he has his own he has his own tent so, um, uh, the not, doc, not in this episode. No, not in the, no, not in this episode. He's sharing an episode. He's sharing a tent in this episode. So, uh, the doctors are in the mess tent and they are going through another bit where they're telling tall tales. And BJ tells a story about somebody in his past named Beer Belly Gus, who was a prodigious drinker. And then, of course, Winchester tops that by mentioning somebody named Patio Gorman, which is again, basically the same story as BJ is telling, except just one better. Uh, and then, uh, Boots Miller comes along with his ladle, uh, talking into it as if it's a microphone. And he's actually dripping soup on Colonel Potter's hand and he's sticking it in the, in the face of everybody and everyone's sort of rolling their eyes. I love that BJ goes along with it where he, he asks, he kind of waves. He's kind of like, Hey, interview me. And he goes, hi, mom. <laughs> I also love that he calls Colonel Potter a young man. Mm hmm. <laughs> And the other and everyone else almost chokes on their food. Yeah. Uh again, and he's dripping his soup onto to Potter, which is again not something even Klinger would do, because that's just kind of roping in Colonel Potter a little too far. And then he accosts Margaret, who comes in, and of course she has absolutely uh no tolerance for this stuff. Uh she's like, you know, what is wrong with this guy? And of course, uh, you know, she even says something like, isn't one of you enough? So she's immediately roping the two of them in together, which from Margaret's point of view is totally understandable. But I love that Klinger's kind of offended that mm -hmm. he's yeah. like, hey, wait a minute. I'm not one. I'm not like this guy. I also noticed that Margaret called it a spoon, but earlier it was clearly a ladle. Yes. 
<laughs> so she, you know, she's, she's not, worried, not worrying about it. I want to go back to what Charles said for a second because sure. he talks about how his involved um, the guy getting so drunk that he was using his empties as bowling pins. And he says that it was his sister's wedding. And I want to know how many times Honoria has been married. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> They've already, they talked about in the preview, in, a, in an earlier episode that she went off and married, I think it was the farmer, right? Yeah. She got married. And then she lived with the, I forget who she lived with. She lived with some other guy. Uh, and then and she'll go and marry an Italian. She goes and marries the Italian, as he puts it. So yeah, Honoria is really the. It's really the black sheep of the family here in the, for the definitely. Winter. Uh, yeah, the writers clearly forgot about all this in season six when they were writing. Or the later maybe stories. she ran off and uh was best friends with Hawkeye's sister. There you go. Exactly. All the all the lost radar's brother, uh, Colonel Potter's um his son that we never hear about again. <laughs> There's all these guys. What Margaret's sister. Who they never, you know, they never like really write anything that completely contradicts that, but she's never mentioned again. Uh, and then when, you know, Margaret's father comes to visit in, in a couple seasons, there's no mention of the, the sister. So it's all these relatives that we kind of. That family remember. reunion, that family reunion must have been huge. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The season. So yeah, we got that coming up next season is, uh, <laughs> the various members of the, the four seven seventh who who no longer exist due to uh, continuity errors. So uh, we are in. Then we go to um, post op, and they uh, they're, they're tending to the patients. And Radar points out. Uh, well, they 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 give they give a patient this morphine, and he has a really bad reaction to it. And the Radar points out that there is only. There's only one box of it left, and they realize, okay, this is going to be tough to have to stretch this. Radar again. Radar says that the the supply truck is coming, but it's not going to come until tomorrow. They give the patient the morphine. At least Nurse Kelly gives the patient the morphine, and he he has a really bad reaction. He has some sort of goes into some, some sort of shock, and they have to stabilize him. And the doctors out there, Ange, Doctor Lewis. Uh, that listen to this show, please leave a comment uh, about the morphine going bad. That is not a thing I'm familiar with. I mean, I'm guessing it's it, like anything; it can go bad. But I just never knew about this that medicine could go could, could go bad, and or that you could have medicine. I mean, this medicine hasn't been here for that long. I never knew about this that this was a thing that could happen that it could sort of like curdle or something like it's old milk or whatever. But okay, it could be something like it's a bad storage too i get that's true that's right i don't know whether again the doctors will clue us in on this uh whether morphine has to be refrigerated and maybe it wasn't refrigerated so we don't know about that yet we don't get into the the details of all of it so after the patient has the bad reaction potter says well this batch might be bad break out another box and hawkeye is like uh can we talk and he drags colonel potter out into raider's office and they talk about that they're down to the last box. They don't have any more. And that is, again, going to be a uh, a bit of a problem. I want to know how they managed to get that low. Because I feel like that that would have been something that Radar ordered ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like maybe five boxes ago. Right. You would think having morphine is pretty, pretty important. Yeah. Especially in a field hospital. Yeah. Again, the, the vagaries of the supply system never we never really fully understand it. i mean they talk about that 
the supply truck normally would come. I think he says something like by, you know, if it's here, if it's not here by 1800, it'll become, it'll be here tomorrow. And he's like, when? And it's like it's, 18, 1830. Yeah. He's like, what time is it now? It's 1830. <laughs> so like, okay. I mean, I'm guessing it would be really difficult to keep supplies when the supply chain is so fragile. You know, we hear about constantly that the trucks are getting stopped or delayed or attacked or robbed or whatever. And so I don't, again, I don't know how it, how it works. Um, once again, I will, I will call out to the, um, armed forces veterans among the audience here to, if you can clue us in as to how it works about the supplies, like radar, there's got to be a limit to how much radar can order, right? They must, they must say you get a standard amount every month. And if you run out of it sooner than you normally would, you're out of luck. But that seems kind of, that seems like a crazy system because. What if the patients need it? So I don't know. I don't know how it works. Also, the the line, the fighting lines tend to change quite quite rapidly. So sometimes they can be stuck in surgery for up to two days straight. Right. Right. They must blow through it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, other units might not use it as quickly because the fighting's not in their area. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go get some from the eight or sixty third or something for Pete's sake. So. Uh, so that's, uh, again, that's, that's our, that's our problem. And then we're back in Klinger and Boots Miller's tent and he has now, uh, converted the ladle into a camera, uh, and microphone and he is shooting footage of, uh, quote unquote footage of Klinger and Klinger tries to advise him. He says, look, you know, this stuff is for, for psychos, this stuff you're doing. Like, well, you know, and he figures that, of course, like himself, Boots is faking. You know, he's just like, look, man, I know you're doing this bit and, you know, it's not really working. I wish you'd knock it off. And then Boots kind of is like, well, all right. And then they go to bed and we see that Boots' Miller starts talking to his shoes and his socks as if they are, you know, sentient. And Klinger is a little concerned about that, truly. So, of course, is is he really this nuts? Is he playing this game even for Klinger? I kind of wonder that, too. And I think they leave, and leave it intentionally vague. Because it makes the episode better. But I want to say I like that when Klinger draws the line at Boots when he says that, uh, when Boots says that he doesn't have a wide angle lens, so he can't <laughs> do f- profile shots. And that's when Klinger's like, oh no, we're done with this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to figure that if, if Boots is really trying to convince people that he's crazy, he's never going to let anybody in on it ever. And, you know, I mean, Klinger, I think Klinger is thinking there's like a sort of honor among thieves sort of bit where it's like, look, you can tell me you're just faking this because everyone knows I'm faking it. But no, Boots is, again, he's he's really committed to this. Um, so uh, now we're back in Colonel Potter's office and they, the the doc, the medical staff are discussing, you know, what, what are we going to do here? And Winchester is saying, I think that we're overreacting. It was one bad medication one bad reaction to the medication i think we should continue with the morphine clinger and i'm just clinger what am i saying hawkeye and bj are arguing that and you know they're saying look that's not worth the risk kind of thing winchester sort of tries to bigfoot them a little where he's like i've got a lot more experience than you two he even says as you know as a chief of thoracic surgery and they all kind of roll they're like okay all right or right, whatever and then colonel potter sort of breaks the log jam 
by telling this story about that when he was a kid, he lived across the street from old Doc Schumacher, which Winchester finds very funny. And he says, uh, of course you did. I love Colonel Potter's reaction when Winchester gives him that he just stares at him. He's just like, all right, shut up. And he tells the story about that his aunt Grace came down with a terrible migraine and Dr. Schumacher gave her a pill and said she'd be fine in the morning. And it worked. And what was it? A sugar pill. And of course, all the doctors are kind of horrified at this idea because it's a placebo. It's not real medicine. And he says, look, you know, it wasn't real medicine, but it was the results were certainly real. And he has a line about where he says the body can do remarkable things if the mind will let it. And he says, you know, if we sell it, really sell it. We give them sugar pills and it might work. And even BJ and Hawkeye are a little skeptical because BJ's like, look, uh, Hawkeye's like, look, you know, migraines are one thing, but we're talking about compound fractures. We're talking about all these broken bones. And Potter's like, well, we have to, we have to give it a try. And that's, and so then immediately Hawkeye and BJ are kind of on board with it because what else are they going to do? Winchester says he doesn't want to be involved in it at all. And they threaten him. They just say, you have to be in on it. And, uh, that is, uh, that's going to be the plan. And so it's a, a hell of an act break. Yeah. I think that it's the only solution that they could possibly have to this problem that they have. It's the, like there really is nothing because at least then they're doing something and not just letting the patient patients suffer. Yeah. And, and if- I do, I was say, I do have one question. When did, how did Colonel Potter know that the doctor gave his aunt sugar pills? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> cause the, the, the Potter doesn't give the date, but you get the sense that he was at the very least a young man, maybe a child. Because yeah, he talks about Aunt Grace was out up in the morning baking me cookies. Not that you can't be an adult and have your aunt bake you cookies, but you get the sense that Potter was a was a young kid. So yeah, maybe did he did the doctor tell him? Why would the doctor tell you? You would think the doctor would totally not say that. Oh, he's like, hey Sherman, can you make help me uh, put the sugar in these capsules, please? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't tell now. That, that's interesting. I never thought about that. But yeah, how does Colonel Potter, how does Colonel Potter know about that? But of course, you know, if you're Hawkeye and BJ, uh, and, you know, Margaret too, to lump her in, I, like they are really concerned with their patients' well-being and the easing of suffering. I think Winchester is, is a little less on that, in that regard. So as you, as you were saying, like they have to try something, even if it's giving fake pills, that is at least some attempt to alleviate their pain as opposed to just telling these guys tough it out. That's, that's just so totally against Hawkeye and BJ's constitution. They just could never do it. So yeah, it makes sense. Like let's, let's give it a try. The worst thing that could happen is nothing. It doesn't work at all. Um, also, the, this, oh, sorry. The solution no. kind of reminds, reminds me of uh back to the British doc, the British commander. He really seems like, it's kind of like them where if you treat the guys like they will get well, they will get well. That's right. Yeah. Major Fox and T and empathy. That's right. <laughs> Which I will say, remember that episode, everybody, uh, Dr. Chris Lewis thought was total tosh. So maybe <laughs> I'll have to see. Well, I was going to say that guy was played by Colonel Crittenden from Hogan's Heroes and that never goes well. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, again, it's worth, it's worth giving a try and they, 
Winchester says, you know, look, I, I, uh, I hope I'm wrong. You know, I don't, I don't think this is going to work, but I hope I'm wrong. And again, that's, that's our act break. Um, so then we come back and BJ and Hawkeye go to the lab. They are, uh, they are interrupting, I guess, a guy that works in the lab, Glassberg, played by the actor Michael Mann, not the director, an actor named Michael Mann. He had a lot of great, uh, movie credits, Mr. Man. He was in Smokey and the Bandit, The China Syndrome, Every Which Way But Loose. His last credit was actually an episode of Cheers. I guess the guest shot on an episode of, of Cheers. So, uh, we have a Cheers cast here on this network. So it's a little connection, uh, was there. He the, was he one of the truck drivers in Smokey and the Bandit? I have no idea. I don't, I haven't seen Smokey and the Bandit in so long. I don't remember. I just saw that his, He's just listed as <laughs> listed in the movie. There are a lot of people in that movie. Uh, My dad was a truck driver, so smoking the bandit plays rent free. All right, in our minds. <laughs> Another member of our network, Chris Franklin, loves that movie. He definitely loves smoking the bandit. So it's very, very popular. Glassberg is in the middle of reading uh, a dirty book. Uh, it's Fanny uh, Hill. Fanny Hill, right? Yeah, and then. <laughs> He, he initially thinks that they want to read it or something. And then he's like, uh, what do you guys got girls coming in here? Which you know, BJ wouldn't, wouldn't do that, of course. And then I love the excuse that BJ gives where he says, order some Tokyo. One of our tongue depressors is missing. Get out. <laughs> I just love that. Uh, <laughs> and then Hawkeye even says, leave the book, uh, <laughs> which Glassberg does not. Uh, does not follow. So I, I love that. I just, I just, I left it. I had one of our tongue depressors is missing. Okay. <laughs> That's great. That doesn't look like the lab any other time we've seen it. No, the lab changes every time they need it to be different. <laughs> My theory is that every time they have to put it back together after they move, they just don't care what it was like last time. And they're just like, this is just the way it is now. Yeah. Right. Well, again, they're not worried about. Uh, Honorius history. We're not worried about the lab set, you know, just put up some bottles and some paperwork and it, it's fine. You know, uh, that one a, does look, it does look w- very well stocked. I will say it is. It is. There's a bulletin board right over BJ's shoulder as he's standing up and there's stuff on there and I, you can't read what it is. I would love to know what all that stuff is, like what that prop is. Is it just, does it say anything? Is it just random paper? Is it related to MASH? in any way or is it just random paperwork they pull out of the office because they're like look nobody's gonna be able to tell what this says anyway i like to think it's uh says goes nowhere does nothing like the signage on star trek oh right 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 yeah when you say gndn <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah <laughs> um yeah for you know they could pull stuff out of like you know the mash production offices like those are letters to the writers letters to letters from larry gelbart or let you know whatever just that kind of stuff you never it could, it could practically say alan aldo on it for all we know you're never going to get to to get to see it father mulcahy he shows up they initially tell him to go read fanny hill because they think it's they think it's glassberg and uh it just seems like unnecessary ribbing of him of mulcahy yeah, it seems like that's unnecessary. Like you could just tell him to do something else. I don't <laughs> well, know. I feel you... unco- anytime that they say anything kind of anything that's like sexual in your window to Father Mulcahy, I'm just like, leave him alone. <laughs> well, they're they're feeling guilty about it because they're like, oh, Fanny Hill was a uh, famous nurse, and Mulcahy's like, if you say so. And I get the sense Mulcahy knows what Fanny Hill is. He, he yeah. doesn't, probably hasn't read it, but he knows well, what that it book- is. 
came out in, I think, the 1780s, so... And Mulcahy was a teenage boy, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> he's, he's familiar with literature. It doesn't, he may not participate in reading it or whatever. Um, so they start making pills based on powdered sugar that they scraped off the scraped off the donuts and uh so they the three of them get to work on the uh on the pills uh and then we are out on the compound and we see boots miller is on sentry duty he is carrying a rifle which as we know if he is a little unstable um boots miller sent says there's enemy gliders and he says hit the deck and him and Klinger hit the compound and he's literally firing the rifle into the sky, uh, which is horrendously dangerous. I mean, uh, you know, just absolutely. I mean, the, the bullets are just going to go fall somewhere, but good Lord, someone could get hit in stray fire because he's not even really aiming very close. He's just like waving his gun around and firing it. And that, you know, there's this mob scene. Everybody comes out and Klinger again has sort of has had enough. He realizes that this is, you know, he Boots Miller is putting people's lives in danger if this is still a bit. So he's uh, he's genuinely, genuinely upset about this. Yeah, and I I like that um, Klinger is immediately worried about everybody around them. Him, mm-hmm. So he's trying to rein in Miller. He's kind of like, you can tell he's legitimately worried about everybody. Yeah. And I just, I like that. Also, I like that he says, if Klinger got a section eight, he'd give it to Miller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I got it today, I'd give it to you. Yeah. That's, it's great. It's, a, I've been saying this a bunch of times this season. Jamie Farr has gotten a lot to do in this episode. I mean, radar is in this episode. Gary Berghoff is in this one, but he's not in it very much. He doesn't get a whole lot to do. He's the one who brings up the, the, the morphine and stuff. But other than that, he's not really in the episode a whole lot. So yeah, Jamie Farr really, kind of rose to the occasion and got to be very funny this season. It got to do a lot of dramatic stuff. Uh, he really, I think he really brought it. And yeah, I love that he is seeing like, well, this is what it would be like if someone was actually genuinely unstable and how dangerous um, this could be again, just shooting into the, into the sky like that is, is really uh, weird. And there's these, I don't know how TV movie props work, but when, Miller is firing. There is these, there are muzzle flashes on the screen. We see several bright flashes. And I don't know whether that was that added, be- that's added in later or those are, is that a fake? I don't know. It's actually, it looks, if it, if it's done live in camera, it looks fantastic. I do believe blanks do still ignite a muzzle flash. Oh, I didn't know that. Do they? I didn't. Okay. I guess that would I make think, sense. I feel like they do. And I would also like to know if the sound that it makes matches the weapon it is. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I have, I would have absolutely no idea. Again, for those of you out there uh, with your military experience, uh, let us know in the comments about whether that sound, the, 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 the sound effect of the rifle is actually the sound that that, 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 that weapon would, uh, would also, make it. It might be me, but it sounds like it, you can hear the echo off of the sound stage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, if you look at the ground, like it, that ground is supposed to be dirt, but you can see there's no dirt anywhere and it's incredibly level. Like you can tell it's just, you know, it's just like a piece of mat that they put down. Nobody's ever scraping anything up or anything like that. But, uh, you know, again, you're not supposed to pay attention to the stuff that, uh, that closely. Um, so, uh, in Potter's office, every, all the medical staff is there and they're putting together the final touches on the pill. They're trying to tell Winchester, 
you know, don't screw this up. You know, you, we basically can't have any cracks in the wall here. We have to come out here and present these soldiers a united front. We all have to show that they are. This is that you were, we're confident of this drug. It's better than morphine. They even say we're not going to get into the details of it, but they get again, they're saying that like we can't, you can't let any of these guys have any doubt that this is a, a powerful drug and that's what it's going to have like a collective action across all of them. And so Hawkeye is the first doctor to deliver it. He delivers it to a patient named Collins. That actor is named Paul Link. He was in movies like Parenthood, Motel Hell, and Grand Theft Auto, which was directed by Ron Howard, which, of course, also guested on this show. And then we see that all the doctors are, are handing it out one by one. And so that's the the uh, the big scam has begun. Even Father Mulcahy. And I'm like, does Father Mulcahy often hand out medicine? Good question. No. But I guess in a, you know, yeah, I mean, there aren't that many patients, really. There's only about eight that, that need to get this, you would think that they wouldn't need to get up. Okay, he wouldn't need to do it. They could just say, okay, the four doctors, you know, or the nurses. Nurse yeah, Kelly, why is Mulcahy? Nurse Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Nurse, Nurse Kelly is with him. So it's like, I guess they maybe when they wanted to give them all the medicine at the same time. That could be. That's true. That way it's it's presumably hitting them all at kind of the uh, the same time. Um, so, yeah, I could, uh, that would that would make sense. Yeah. Um, Winchester is giving his and the patient is saying, well, how long, how long is this going to take? And he's like, there are a number of variable factors involved. There's uh, again, he's like rate of absorption and, uh, your metabolism, rate of ingestion. And he's, he's just making it where he's talking too much. And then it's Margaret cuts in and she says 10 minutes, 10 minutes private. And he takes him like, okay. Uh, so yeah, that's, and then we pan over. And we see, as you pointed out, Nurse Kelly and Father Mulcahy are giving it out. They're giving it to a patient named Graham, played by an actor named Donald Blackwell, who really only had one other credit, which is an episode of uh, What's Happening uh, in the show. And he asks Mulcahy, what's in it, Father? Morphine? And Mulcahy says, no. And he kind of stutters. It's better. And I realize, of course, Mulcahy has a total prohibition on lying. Uh, so he's probably pretty uncomfortable having to lie to the, although you could argue in a, in a, you know, Star Wars-y certain point of view, it is better than morphine. You could also retcon it that Father Mulcahy doesn't see himself as lying because it's for a greater cause and that surely God's not going to get too mad at him. Sure, sure. <laughs> but for someone who never lies, presumably... It's, I mean, for all of us, you know, I think we all, all of us are pretty comfortable with lying, but when someone who doesn't do it, it's probably a little startling to have to say something. Uh, okay. And again, you can even say it lies on occasion. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, and it did, it is better than morphine, sort of. It's, it's better than the morphine they have. Let's put it that way. It's better than the potentially fatal morphine. Um, so, so there's that. Colonel Potter is giving his pill to a patient named Rifkin, played by an actor named Peter Zapp. He had uh, credits on shows like Tour of Duty, one of my favorite shows. He was in Oliver Stone's Talk Radio, and he, of course, was in the uh, MASH spinoff BJ and the Bear. And uh, this <laughs> this patient talks about that he can't swallow pills. He can't do it at all. He says, I choke on Sensen. And Potter has to, he says, you're like my horse. I have to hide her pill in an old apple core. <laughs> and 
he grabs Rifkin's mouth, basically, you know, kind of pries it open, holds his nose, shoves the pill down, and Rifkin uh, manages to clamp down on Colonel Potter and bites him in the finger. Uh, do you have any problem taking pills? Is that ever an issue with you at all? I take them. I take one specific one every day. And no, I don't. I actually used to do it dry because I was just wanting. I was too lazy to get the drink. <laughs> but then my mom told me you need to stop doing that. <laughs> so I take my medicine with a soda every day. Okay. But also, call me young, but I did not know what Sinsen was. So I had to look it up. Oh, yeah. Neither did I. I mean, I knew it. I've known it now. But as a kid, I didn't know what it was. What it, For those people who don't know, we explain what it is. It's a breath freshener that was marketed to teens to hide the smell of alcohol or tobacco from parents to teachers. <laughs> boy, did boy did the 40s and the 50s have some interesting times. You and I want to know, was it like a pill or was it because it's a I think I get the impression that it was like a like kind of like an aerosol. So I want to know what kind of form that came in. I think it was like a mint, like it was like a breath mint kind of thing. But although, um, although it had to have been a pill though, because he says I choke on, I choke on Sensen. Well, I mean, if it's just a breath mint, you're not swallowing it. So well, although, s- although a, a pill that you swallow wouldn't do, wouldn't do that. It wouldn't make your breath fresh if you swallow the pills because it's in your stomach at that point. I feel like it was a something you sprayed because I, because of sensory issues, I can't stand sprays in my mouth. Hmm. Because the that feeling that does make me feel like I can't swallow. So. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, I again, I, it was it was one of those things that when I was a kid watching stuff like Mash or movies from like the forties and fifties, they would mention Sen Sen, and and uh, there was a um there was a Billy Joel song. I loved Billy Joel. I still do now. But I was a kid. I loved Billy Joel music, and there he mentioned Sen Sen in a song that was sort of set in like his past as a child. So I always knew references to it, but I never, I was like, okay, it's some sort of thing you put him up. But imagine nowadays marketing a product that is designed to be aimed at not children, but teens with the express purpose of fooling your parents and teachers. Like <laughs> that's pretty, it's a pretty ballsy marketing plan. I don't think that's any part because they're cracking down on vapes that look like ordinary objects. Right. So yeah. To- the vapes that look like USB uh, jump drives. <laughs> so that's kind of amazing. Uh, so um, we uh, we we cut back to uh, Radar's office, and uh, Winchester is feeling a little despondent because he just doesn't believe that it's working, and he just feels like that's going against all of his sort of medical training, as he says, to just sort of lie to these patients and Mulcahy is walking by and notices and says, you know, you shouldn't give up so soon. We got to give it a, you know, give it a try. Maybe it'll work. Radar comes in and he says, uh, Hey, every, Hey, uh, you got, you guys got to see this. And they go into the post-op and we see that it is working in some level for most of the patients. By the way, I didn't mention BJ's patient uh, is his name is Saxton. He is played by the the actor Andrew Block. This was his second of two mashes. He was another. He was in another episode from uh, earlier in season five, where he was also a patient of BJ's. He's the one who has a missing leg due to a landmine going off. He's the one who he's mm. the he's the one where he says uh, 
I woke up and uh, the explosion. He says, like, Herb, we have a problem. And this is that, that same actor. And, um, but we see that for the most part, it is working. Um, Saxton says, you know, I don't think it's working. He begs him, begs BJ for another pill. BJ says, I'll give it to you. I'll give you one more, but that's it. These things are just too strong. But we see that Hawkeye's patient is asleep. And another patient says all the pain in his arm is gone. And he says, you know, I can really feel it. And so we see that uh, for the most part, it worked. This reminds the this scene reminds me of was it Dear Comrade with the tree bark. Yes, yes, paste. that's right. The paste that they make. Yeah, when they they walk in and they're not itchy anymore, or very much reminded me of that. Right, because um, the doctors are skeptical of that too, because it it's it stinks so bad. But it's a it's like a homeopathic remedy. Yep, and uh, is this the scene where they have the right before the tag where uh. Hawkeye and BJ go to war, war of words with Charles again. Yeah, well, right, yeah, right after that, they go to the mess tent and Potter kind of surveys it and says, you know, uh, you know, through with ice packs and what we got, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna work. We're gonna get these guys through the night, and you know, they kind of just go over it, and then uh, Winchester, of course, feels the need to have a story that he says he can top even what he just saw and he talks about that uh dr babcock put the patient under put a patient under by hypnotizing him just using his watch and he ended up performing an appendectomy appendectomy without anesthesia and he says you know you can uh you know it's in the medical record it's in the boston medical record and uh hawkeye has a great line he says now i really want to go home just so i can go home and and uh, look that up and winchester says it's not going to help you, Hawkeye, or help you, Pierce. It doesn't have pictures, uh, which is <laughs> a great, a great exit line, which Potter really seems to uh, enjoy. And uh, the three of them walk out of the uh, the mess tent, and it's 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 fun. It's a it's an interesting kind of blind a little because you think that's the end of the of that storyline, but it isn't because the show actually has a little more to go than it normally does. And uh, they're gonna they're gonna when they come back from the break. They talk about that Hawkeye and BJ are going to, uh, as he says, as revenge, going to work him over, work Winchester over. And Potter says, now read about it in the court martial. Yeah, great line. (laughs) This was probably cut out in syndication. Uh, See, now this part I saw. I remember this part. I, For some reason, most of this episode seems pretty intact. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why this one would be more than than some some others. I think the scene. I was going to say, I watched the DVDs with way more than I've ever watched it on TV. So mm. I normally would see things and then get so annoyed that when they were cut out on TV. Right. <laughs> um, but it's a nice, again, it's a little nice bit of, bit of um, storytelling in that the three doctors are walking towards the swamp. And then of course, Colonel Potter fades off as they head into the swamp. And then that's when Klinger accosts him and it tells him about Boots Miller, tells him how much of a dangerous he is. Potter's not having it. Potter thinks that Klinger is in on it. And he says, the two of you, he says, I think you're both in on it. And he says, the two of you together don't add up to a section four. And Klinger is, you know, again, desperately trying to get Potter to understand what's going on. And then Boots shows up, jogs into the frame, and is pointing his rifle at them both. Uh, because he's, he's, uh, he thinks he's, he's managed to apprehend some invisible 
Chinese spies or whatever it is. But they were North it, Korean pilots. North Korean pilot. That's right. The North Korean pilots. And I love how, you know, kind of calm Potter is because, I mean, this guy is nuts and he's pointing a high powered rifle in their direction. I mean, this could, this weapon could kill them very easily. And he kind of lowers his voice to like in one octave and he's like, Corporal, put the gun down. You're giving me the shakes. And he's trying to get, you know, keep the guy calm. But again, it is, you know, it would be pretty scary. Uh, and then he says, you know, Miller, let's talk about this. Hen, Klinger, the rifle. And again, he realizes that he can't, you know, he can't play games with this guy. And then Miller goes nuts, fires the gun into the, into the, uh, out into the distance because these supposed North Korean pilots have gotten away. He runs off. Potter and Klinger hit the dirt. And he says, sandbag him. I'm going to go. I'll be in my office doing the paperwork to get him out of here. And then, of course, Klinger tries and he says, well, you're filling out one Section 8 form. Can't you do another? And <laughs> and then we hear Boots fire some more. So we see that now Colonel Potter fully understands that uh, Klinger wasn't lying. I like that. Um, clearly, Colonel Potter, Potter is a very intelligent man because he says, wait until he empties the clip. Does and he say that? I don't think I noticed that. He he does specifically says wait until he runs out of rounds or empties the clip. A variation that. of that. So wait until he has no more shots and then go get him. That is very smart. <laughs> that actually is. That's very, very smart. Yeah. You don't want anywhere, you know, again, it wouldn't be near this guy uh, while he's firing his gun out into the, the distance. So, so about the, oh, I was going to say about... Colonel Potter. I think that also is the fact that, you know, in World War One, he was a foot soldier, not a doctor. That's right. So he's he's very comfortable around. He's perhaps the most comfortable around weapons. They don't set him on edge like anyone else. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's he's certainly uh, more familiar with this kind of stuff, waging war, which is again not nothing that the other doctors would be uh, comfortable with at all. So then we're in uh, the swamp and Hawkeye and BJ are telling stories from their past. And Hawkeye talks about someone named Lenore Clement, who he dated, who was Miss England. And uh, and he says, I knew her when she was Miss Maine of 48, Miss Crabapple Cove of 47. He painted her swimsuit on her. And then uh, BJ retorts with saying he dated Esther Williams's stand in. Now, when do you remember when you saw this episode? Like, do you remember? Did you have any idea who Esther Williams was? I think I did, but I don't can't tell you if it's because I heard it on another Mash episode or something else. <laughs> but I knew I had heard the, her before because I knew she was an actress. Right. And uh, so BJ says, I could kiss her for an hour at a time. She could hold her breath so long. Because, of course, for people who don't remember Esther Williams, she was an actress, but she did a lot of underwater movies, like a lot of like day, you know, swimming and doing synchronized stuff in the water. I think it was some big time movie studio exec who said on dry, she's not much, but wet, she's a star. That was her thing. And so she could, she was constantly, she was, she was an actress, but she was a good swimmer. And so obviously her stand in had to be able to hold her breath very well. So the, there's the, you know, the joke there. And even, he even says that she was gorgeous from her, from her head to her gills. And we see Winchester is, watching all this with bemusement and he's hanging around by the stove which means that he's 
like if you divided the swamp into sections, he's in Hawkeye and BJ's territory. Right. <laughs> he's in there. He's in their half of the swamp for for sure. Yeah. Uh yeah, you're right cuz obviously he's involved cuz otherwise he'd just be laying on his laying on his uh, in his cot. And so when Chester says, uh you you two ever heard of Audrey Hepburn? And BJ's like, "Sure, big brown eyes, beautiful smile, a lot of talent. I can understand she can act too." And then Hawkeye's like, "Oh, right, you dated her stand-in." And Winchester says, "Of course not. I dated her." <laughs> This is my favorite sequence in the whole episode is this run of them because they are just like, no, 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 no. We've had enough of your lies. Uh, you know, the, the, the handyman. Okay. Hypnotist, maybe Audrey Hepburn. And he says, uh, you know, I've, I've seen her. Not only couldn't date her, she wouldn't allow you to interfere. One of her movies was playing and Winchester ladles it on even further. And he says, I've never seen any of her films i just had dinner with her and they're just guffawing hawkeye has this great bit where he says uh quasimodo would have a better chance of dating audrey hepburn than you it's i just love it so much and i look you know then then winchester reaches into his pocket the two of them are kind of like oh yeah look at this okay okay and then he says i hate to do this to you and he hands this photo, and then we see that Hawkeye takes a look at it. He looks at it for maybe half a second, and then kind of shoves it up to his chest and looks utterly crestfallen. It's absolutely great bit of physical comedy. Yeah, that is a great scene. And I just love that, you know, these two are just, they want it in their soul to it not be true. But now they have evidence <laughs> that says they can't even fight it and call call him on his bs <laughs> this is they can't live with this you know and and uh bj's like let me see it and what is it it's just a picture of audrey hepburn having dinner with i can't say charles. charles and then i love him bj goes it's a fake and then he takes a look at it it's not a fake <laughs> I, love the, I love when hawkeye goes i'm gonna be sick <laughs> As you said, it's it wounds their soul that he did this and he can provide a photo of it. And I mean, first of all, I love that Winchester has a photo in his wallet. Like he's still I mean, hey, if I had, had dinner with someone of Audrey Hepburn's stature of, you know, this era, I'd keep that photo on my phone for damn sure. But I love that it, you get the sense Winchester has pulled this story out a lot and he has this photo for this reason because he knows it's want- the ultimate trump card. I'd be worried that that photo is just that material would wear out and that it's <laughs> black and white and it's the night it's the 50s so it can't be that great resolution <laughs> i'd be worried about wearing it out maybe he's got multiple copies uh you know that's true maybe. he I has would, the I negatives would, yeah i would get many many copies of this printed up of him to annoy you and be like, can you send me another one, please? Yeah, yeah. He's probably asking Honoria, yeah, constantly, please send send me a box <laughs> of these things. Um, but it's it this this whole bit is so good, and I love that you know I love that that BJ hands it back and he goes, well, I guess that shows you. Like <laughs> they have nothing, they have absolutely nothing to counter this with. Uh, it's just so it's so good. It's David Ockenstars is so funny. And Alan Alda and Mike Farrell are so funny and they're, they're back and forth. It's just so well done. And then of course, Winchester goes even further 
where he talks about uh, where they mentioned he's the next, you know, let's go to Bed Beach. He's the next before he's going to tell us that he climbed Everest. And he says, no, I never climbed Everest, but I climbed the Matterhorn uh, in the winter. It's more sporting that way. And <laughs> they crawl into bed and he talks about uh, it was 80 mile an hour winds. Lars, our guide, immediately doubled his fee. I fired him, of course. <laughs> That's such a Winchester move. I wouldn't expect anything different. That part I buy. I buy that he fired Lars the guide because he figured he could do it better himself. It's, it is really one of the best comedy set pieces in all of season six. I just find, you find these three guys just bouncing off each other. So funny and just so well done. And just that they're letting Winchester, especially after they laid him so low in Dr. Winchester, Mr. Hyde, that they let him get the upper hand here. I, I just, oh man, I never, never tire of watching that, that whole sequence. Uh, and so, I want to say, I was gonna say, um, the Hawkeye and BJ's reaction reminds me of when they found out that Frank was promoted to, uh, to Colonel. Oh, right. And given a spot, given a, uh, position at a military hospital, um, back home. Yep. Yep. The reaction seemed very similar. <laughs> The Hawkeye throwing the phone out to the compound and stuff. It's it's really great. Yeah, I, I just, I love it so much. Um, And so uh, then we come back for one last scene in the mess tent where Klinger delivers uh, some mail and it's a package. And we see that it is a, it is a, a sock with a face on it, a kind of like uh, Sherry Lewis and Land Chop sort of thing. And it's a letter from Boots Miller. And he talks about that uh, he has formed, he is the research and development in the uh, Novelite toy company and he says this is mr sock he was invented in your very very own camp and that makes Klinger think oh he was a fake you know this whole thing was a blind and he says well we've sold fifty thousand of them a rich fake and he says he's you know he's oh he's vice yeah he's vice president of research and development at lava light toy and he says we're working on the next uh product which is enemy glider and I wonder, and I love the clinger goes, Oh no. Like she's like, Oh God, it's getting worse. But then Potter says, I'm wondering if uh, I can, I have the, uh, I can reproduce the pilot perfectly, but I did not get a good look at the glider itself. Do you have any photographs of the one that I shot down? And the two guys look at each other and they realize, Oh yeah, no, Boots Miller really is crazy. Uh, and that, that is the end of our episode and our season. I want to say that is also the quickest mail turnaround in the history of MASH. Well, do we know how long it's been since? I mean, it, it could be a very large time jump, but I'm just thinking that mail got there awfully too quick. It, well, I guess, well, I guess it would have to. I mean, if he's already sold 50,000 of these things, it gets, it has to be. Yeah, you're right. Cause that, so that means like this little button scene is probably six months after the events of the rest of the episode or something. In a perfect world, this scene would have been cut out and put into like 10 episodes later. You're right. Yeah. Season eight or something. Yeah. <laughs> they bring it back. Can you remember? Hey, all you can remember Boots Miller from season six. Well, he's back. Yeah. 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 That would be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, that's it. That's the end of, uh, of our, of our episode again and, and our, our season. Uh, I think overall it's a, uh, Major Topper's a really funny show. Again, I, I, we went on and on about the, the closing scene in the in the swamp, but uh, I love that there's a medical case. We've got this other subplot with with Klinger. So overall, I think it's a really terrific show, and it features 
the last episode featuring a clean-shaven BJ Honeycutt. Because, of course, he will be back in Season 7 sporting, as, as it is called, a cheesy mustache. So if you prefer Mike Farrell slash BJ Honeycutt clean-shaven, uh, savor this episode, everybody. Because uh, other than half his face in The Joker is Wild in Season 11, we will uh, never see clean-shaven uh, BJ again. I never realized that, but I have actually face blindness, so I can't rem- if I look try to think up people's faces in my head, I can't remember it. So people like to argue about when he, how BJ looks better with the mustache or not. I actually forget that part, so mm-hmm. it doesn't. It it's just like that's just the way he is in this episode, and it doesn't really ever bother me. All right, I I, I am have- yeah. I'm I'm more pro clean shaven BJ than mustache BJ, but you know, hey, it's the it's the opposite of Riker. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I well, I'm pro. That's right. Yeah, I guess because I'm pro beard, mustache and beard Riker. I'm generally pro beard in in most actors. I think that makes them look more interesting. Well, in Riker's case, it meant that you knew that the episodes were going to be good. <laughs> Ooh. Oh wow! All right, you Star Trek fans out there, <laughs> Michelle's dropping some, throwing some. Anyone oh, who's th- seen TNG season one and two know what I'm talking about. Okay, throwing throwing some strays at, uh, at Star Trek Next Generation season one and two. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm generally pro. Like Frazier, I liked him in I liked him with the beard in the later seasons of Cheers, and when they got rid of it for Frazier, I was like, oh, why would they make him get rid of his beard? Uh, so. But uh, so yeah, Major Topper. It's a really terrific show. Kind of a good one to go out on. Despite my comments about maybe Doctor Pier- Doctor Winchester, Mister High might have been better. But that one was so serious. It's probably good to lighten things up and make this one be a little bit uh, of a lighter yeah, show. The, yeah, the episode of drug dependency versus uh, actually the complete opposite of drug dependency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Actually, yeah, it's the. If, yeah, Winchester could have taken placebos. I might have done the, the same thing for him. It is, it, it's a unique episode because it's the first one since season two that doesn't end the season with some sort of big period on the sentence. Season three ends with Abyssinia Henry. Season four ends with the interview. Season five ends up with, ends with Margaret's marriage. All kind of big moments for the show. Definitely a kind of very strong, very dramatic way of, of ending the season. And that's the, they decided to go a different way for this season, making things a little lighter. And, and again, it's got a great medical story, but it, it all generally is a much more goofier and, and funnier episode. So Michelle, do you have a favorite joke or line from this episode? Uh, I think my favorite line is when they talk about the lumberjack festival, mm-hmm. when BJ's telling his story and then Hawkeye says, it's as easy as falling off a log. <laughs> I do. I do like all the stories from their past. Well, you got to know, got to wonder if any of them are true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite one is, and I purposely left it out uh, so I could re- recall it here, is in the scene with them talking about Audrey Hepburn, was where uh, I love when Winchester says, you know, when will you two cretins realize that your fantasy world cannot compete with my real life. And I love that Hawkeye goes, oh yeah. And then Winchester just goes, brilliant repose, Pierce. And then Hawkeye <laughs> goes, oh yeah. 
Such a child. I love that Hawkeye knows he's got nothing. He's he's got nothing. And so, yeah, he just resorts to being like a 10-year-old. So, And I love that when he does that, you see Winchester chuckle. Because he kind of knows. Like, he knows that Hawkeye knows he's completely, you know... He's got a he's got the hot hand here. And so I just I love the way Alan Alda delivers that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's <laughs> just got he's got nothing. It makes it makes me laugh. Every line in that scene is funny. Every single line. It's just it's just yeah. really this, funny, so. this episode works so great because everybody has something to do. That's right, yeah, right. I mean Margaret and Radar not as not quite as much, but yeah, everyone all everyone's involved, which is always a you know, kind of a, a solid thing. So but uh, so that's that's major topper. That is season six, everybody. So Michelle, thank you for coming back on the show. I'm I'm so glad again you were willing to stick with the show all these years and just wait around so we could finally get to Winchester. So thank you for doing this. You're welcome. Do you want to tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Yes, I am at Michelle H. Wrights on the platform formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> That'll be under Michelle watches the Rockford Files because that was my last big. <laughs> that was my last big special interest was the Rockford Files, and there's a lot that. of mash mash alumni in there. There are. Well, yeah, they were produced at the same time, literally the same time. I love the Rockford Files. I will Rockford Files. I will say, just like you dropped some hot opinions about Star Trek Next Generation, Rockford Files the best TV theme opening of any TV show ever. Even more than Mash, everyone knows I love Mash, but Rockford Files to me that that sound that sco- that uh, that opening theme with those images to me is the single best opening theme of any TV show ever done in history. I I sometimes I will pull it up on YouTube and just watch it because I find it did, so beautifully put together. Did you know that there's a soccer team in England that come that comes out to the Rockford Files as their theme song? No, I did not know that. That's boss. <laughs> and they've done that since the seventies. Really? Yes, they've done it that long. That's so I, cool. I love it. That's great. I and I, I love that uh, the, the whoever owns the Rockford Files music, you know, does is like cool with that. You could see somebody being a pain in the butt, be like, "You can't do that." I love that's great. That that is that's a it's a it's a great song. They might like let them because they'd be like, if people hear this, they might watch the Rockford Files. Yeah, why not? Yeah, oh, I love that show. I absolutely. I just, I James Gardner. I had, is such a big fan. I had never actually seen it, and so I decided to watch it one day. I don't even remember why I decided to watch it, and then because uh, it's on uh, Freebie with ads. is that where it is now? It keeps moving around. Every time I look for it, it's on a different platform. Um, that's where it is now. I think that it has a lot of legal problems, and which is why you can't buy it anywhere. Like Ugh. you can't. You can't, the streaming rights are so, dis, like, odd. You cannot buy it on anywhere. iTunes, you can't buy it anywhere. Hmm. But it, it's available there. They probably <laughs> don't want to have to pay James Garner's estate any, anymore. Uh, well, we, well, we know there, he, he had to sue them to get the proper royalties back then because the, the, the studio that produced Rockwood Files claimed that that show uh, never made any profits, so that they never shared any of the money with him. He had to sue the company, which is again and that was only that, the second time he had sued a major studio. Yeah, we see that the that the Hollywood studios have been pulling this nonsense for his time immemorial. Yeah. They do it now. They did it then. 
they, you know, that's that's just their 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 standard mo. So, well, uh, again, thanks everybody for listening to Rockford Files Cast. Really appreciate you doing. <laughs> there actually is a Rockford Files podcast. Of course, there is. How could there not be? It's a great show, and they did like well, seven seasons of it. I mean, sure, why not? There's, it's these two guys. They're, and they don't even do it in order. Basically, what they've been doing recently is that they'll go with the get all the episodes directed by the same person. And they'll do those, and then they'll finish out, and then the next week they'll move on to someone else. It's hmm. an interesting way to organize it. I would never think about that. Oh, geez, I'm glad you said that because that made me, made me it reminded me. I almost skipped this. Good lord, thank you, Michelle. Uh, <laughs> Alan Freeman, the writer of this episode. I mentioned that the, I've never had the chance to say this name on the show before because this is. I'm going to assume Alan uh, Freeman. I, I looked them up. I think it's I think it's a man. Uh, I, I I hope I'm right. I'm signing the gender correctly. Uh, but uh, Alan Freeman only had two credits: this one episode of Mash, and then five episodes of Heart to Heart, the TV show, the other TV show, not the other TV. You know what I mean? Another TV show, Heart to Heart. How I don't know how you get a career in TV where you end up writing one of the most popular TV shows on the air. And then you do five of this other show that was a hit. And then you never do another thing ever again, at least in television. I don't know how that, how that works. I'm going to assume that uh, Alan Freeman was a, a freelancer and they had them write this script and they just never brought it back. And it's, it's a shame because I think this is a terrific show. Maybe it was rewritten extensively by the story editors. That happens. They don't get their names put on that when they do it. That's one of the natures I of the job, but the way it, works now and I think also worked back then was that for writing and direction, studios had to bring in a certain amount of people who haven't had work before worked on that show before. I think that's right. They had to they had to form out a certain percentage of scripts to freelancers. Yeah. You couldn't just have everybody in, in house. That way uh, that people could show. join the unions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but it's again I don't know why Alan Freeman never came back because I think this is a terrifically written show. So, um, you know, but uh, this is that's their sole credit. So, yeah, I'm glad we went on that Rockford Files run, Michelle, because it made I I was gonna I would have skipped mentioning Alan Freeman and that would have bothered me. I was like, oh, geez. So, but again, um, so thank you so much for for coming back. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So, okay, everybody, uh, that is the end of season six of Mash. We will of course be back in two weeks for the traditional MASH mail call episode where I will be reading some of the great feedback I've been getting over the course of the season. I'll be ranking the season six episodes uh, and I'll be making the official announcement for season seven. And uh, we also will be featuring a- an extra special little feature that I haven't done on mail call episodes before, but you'll just have to wait to hear that. I think it'll be a lot of fun, but for now, uh, that's going to wrap up uh, season six of MASH, everybody. Of course, you can find this show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. We are over on Twitter slash X, whatever it's called this week, at MASH477Cast. And then if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash podcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be named checked on the show of your choice. So as always, a big salute to Daniel Ulrich, Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, Mike Thomas, Joe Perino, Billy Shulman, Dennis Bailey, Kara Kay, Tim English, Adam Ackerman, Lisa P., Laura Braun, Stephen Vinskike, Michael Kelly, Daryl Clark, and Brady Palmer for their support of MASHCast. I really appreciate it. So, as I said, we'll be back in two weeks for the mail call episode. But until then, 
That is all. Aha! Here's a young lad with the peach fuzz still fresh on his cheeks. How old are you, Sonny? Sonny, what's going on here? How now, don't be nervous. Why is this man talking into a spoon? They're out of forks.